for uh, waking up this early to talk with me. So, not a, not an issue at all. Honestly, I can't sleep in really much more anymore. I'm super tired. You, you know, you get used to waking up so early. It kind of becomes normal to wake up this early. Mm-hmm. Not a not an issue. Your man cave looks pretty nice. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, it's a work in progress. All right, uh, so you just want to go ahead and get into it? Yeah, I'm ready. I got some notes here. Kind of brainstormed a little bit last night mm-hmm. and this morning, and, and uh, I'm sure we can get a good combo going. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the First Four Outdoors podcast. Um, today's a little bit different. Um, so I have Will Schoonover here with Gone Rogue Strength, and he's actually going to be a guest host for this episode. And because uh, Tyler, Larry, and Zach get to hear my BS all the time, and uh, so we've been wanting to bring a lot more um, training information to this, uh, to this channel, and no better way to get some get some content out by bringing some fresh ears and some fresh questions in so um this is gonna be a little bit of a collaboration um will schoonover just launched a training company um and so for purposes of endurance strength training uh ultra running etc he'll be able to you know bring people to this um channel and then people that are wanting his um, training advice we'll be able to hear from him firsthand through this episode so i think it's gonna be pretty cool all right well hey i appreciate you having me man i uh i guess really the first thing i'm gonna get after is that running is not uh the easiest thing to to start doing if you have someone that maybe wants to get better at running or start running what do you think would be the the first couple of steps of getting into running yeah, so I think a lot of, uh, I think we're, especially like uh, talking to a lot of people in the National Guard, um, where you have to be able to run, you know, X amount of miles for X amount of time, people that don't do it tend to start off too quick, um, too many miles in too short of a time frame. So rule of thumb, um, and it's actually like really hard to follow, is uh, the 10% rule. Um, so you don't really, if if you if you don't want to injure yourself, you really don't want to increase your mileage by more than ten percent per week. Um, so if you're just starting out, that can seem it, that's that's honestly pretty rough. So like whenever I started running, whenever I was fifteen years old, I started with um, a mile probably three to four times a week, and then the next week it was five times a week. Then over like the next month, I moved up to two miles every other day. Um, but like, for example, if someone's just starting and let's say their baseline is five miles a week, like that's their max before they will get injured, right? They can't, theoretically, they can't bump up any more than 5.5 miles the next week. And then the next week would be six miles. So if you're just starting out, it can be a little bit overwhelming because you see, you know, I mean, for a person where their baseline is like, let's say five miles a week, um, that's a lot of effort um, mentally to just barely increase each week. Like where for me, if my baseline is, 
30 to 40 miles a week, then if, then I can pretty much like, um, run a 50 miler within just a short, like two month training block where I go from, um, 40, then 44, then 50, 55, and then I'm up to 60 within just like a month. Um, so one thing to keep in mind is that your muscles, once, once you start like, um, increasing your distance, your muscles will adapt a lot faster than your joints will. Um, so you'll hear people say, you know, people will go out there, they start increasing their mileage because they're not following that rule, for example. Um, and then their muscles are starting to adapt a lot quicker than their joints. And then they hurt their knee or their ankle. Um, so that's just one thing to keep in mind for someone who's just starting out. Do you think it would be uh, beneficial for someone to like just find their baseline of how many miles per week instead of like, okay, let's see how far I can run today and not really have a plan. I guess what I'm saying is like to create a plan of what my first initial goal would be per that first week. Mm -hmm. And and then you was talking about how your muscles uh, will adapt and grow faster than your joints. Well, do you think there would, there's a lot more injuries in the beginning of the process of running? Or do you think, uh, longer down the line, you start to see more injuries? Uh, so I think it's, I think it, most of the injuries that occur is probably after the first month, month or two of training. Now that's for someone that's starting from ground zero. Right. Um, so, I mean, it takes a little, like our, our bodies are pretty resilient. So it takes about a month of someone that's training pretty consistently to, um, get to that point where they're going to overdo it to actually cause injury. Um, most of our bodies are capable, even if you are 300 pounds sitting on the couch for two years, like your body's pretty capable of starting at that five miles per week and holding out for at least a month before you hurt yourself. Uh, biggest thing, um, a lot of people that, at least that I talk to, the first thing that people encounter is their shin splints. Um, and I've had them before. I've only had them one time in my life and they are pretty, they are pretty tough to, to like get rid of. So I can see why a lot of people will stop. And that just happens. That just all has to do with, um, like their shoes. A lot of people don't know what type of shoes to wear or their running form, but I mean, all that comes with actual experience. Um, so it's just, just kind of like trial and error. Um, okay. Yeah. What, uh, but you were saying, are, um, how, like, so someone that, how do we find their baseline? Um, so typically, I mean, because I'm most of the time talking to people that are in the military, I will tell them, give me your best two mile run, like your all out effort, two mile run. And then I want you to run as far as you can mentally. Like most of the time, like people will quit way before they can, before they want to stop physically, but their mind will force them to stop. So I just tell them run as far as you can, and then we'll uh, build a plan off of that. Um, and I have this whole training regiment that is designed through a mathematical formula to help increase your two mile run time, but it's, uh, over like a long period of time where, you know, they won't injure themselves. 
I want to jump back to injuries and uh, shin splints. What are some basic uh, mobility, flexibility, or some accessory work that you would do to minimize the risk of uh, shin splints? Um, so the shin splints are really, really difficult. Um, so if you have, if you are fortunate enough to have a massage gun, then I would recommend, um, massaging your calves very frequently. Um, and then there's two stretches for your calves that you can do. It's where obviously where you'll grab your, your toes and you'll pull it towards your shins and then you'll take your your front of your feet and then you'll pull it away from your shins whenever you pull it away from your shins that's whenever you're actually like stressing or stretching your actual tendons that are in your shins um and i mean that's pretty much all you can do as far as stretching is concerned and then making sure that you're foam rolling or massage gunning your calves before and after a workout and if you do happen to get shin splints um what i found is um compression socks keep kind of like keep those muscles together so mm-hmm. they might still hurt like whenever you start a run but after a while your your legs kind of like numb up a little bit and then that pain goes away uh just because of the restricted blood flow and it really helps a lot okay cool so you get some plantar flexion and some dorsiflexion now with talking about some exercises how do you balance how much you run per week and your lifting? Do you double up some days? Do you just run some days? Do you just lift some days? Yeah, so the thing about um, endurance running, and I know, like, I've been doing this for a long time, but it just now became, I guess, mainstream within, like, the last one to two years is, like, the, the hybrid training. And uh, the biggest thing... Like, uh, let's say, let's say six years ago, people would ask me like, Hey, how do you run so far? But you still like, you don't look like a runner. Like you, you look like you lift. And, uh, that all has, has to do with mainly your, your heart rate, like the heart rate that you're running when, like, if you keep, if you keep a, like a lower aerobic baseline for your heart while you're running, you're not, you're not dipping into that muscle glycogen that keeps your muscles full, keeps them strong for the weight room. Now, um, whenever I had, before I had kids and I had time to train all the time, I was training about 21 ish hours a week. Um, and that was total or uh, yeah, total a week, roughly. Um, and most of my runs were slower, on the trails, I wasn't really like dipping into my muscle glycogen at all. Plus I was doing a low carb, high fat diet. So I was mainly burning fats during those runs. And then during the lifts, I would always make sure that I was exposing, I would at least have like, um, so I have two different types of lift. I have those hot, those moderate weight endurance days where let's say it's a 70 pound dumbbell for 250 reps on flat dumbbell press that would be a moderate strength endurance day and then you have a higher strength day where you take let's say hundreds for um five sets of eight to twelve and then you try to you try to at least get like to that higher rep range but you're using um more weight so i guess like 
making sure that I'm actually lifting heavy ish weight while running kind of like holds on to that muscle to that muscle mass. Now, whenever I got whenever I had kids, my amount of time drastically decreased and whenever I was trapped in a um, factory job, you have no time whatsoever to train. And um so I would alternate weeks where my focus would be running or lifting. So one week I would focus mainly on running and I might lift one to two times that week. Then the next week, for example, I would lift, you know, and these are like super quick workouts. Um, I would lift three to four times a week, maybe run one or two, but the amount of progress or I guess damage, damage, good damage that you were causing during those focus weeks would, um, let's say it's a, a graph where you go up here and then the week where it's not your focus, you're coming down slightly. Okay. But you're not going all the way back down to zero. So then the next, the next time it was that turn for it to be the focus, you, you, you would kind of be like a ladder. And so that's how I figured so, out. <clears throat> gradual, gradual increase. Mm-hmm. I like how you, uh, how you flipped, how much you ran, like focusing on running, have a couple of lifts next week, really focused on lifting and only run a little bit. Do you think, uh, so like you was talking about picking, uh, you know, wait for a dumbbell press and then picking the amount of reps that you do for your, your moderately high or maybe uh, heavy weight. Do you do the same thing for lower body and do you try to, uh, if you are going to run, do you try to do an upper body lift that day or do you not mind or do you sometimes program to do a lower, lower body lift with a run that day? I think it all depends on, um, so the, the big thing about endurance training is it's not the same as explosive strength training um, where explosive strength training takes a lot less time and maybe like you have to have mental toughness, but not mental toughness for length. Right. So I like to, um, always, I have never like really talked about this publicly, but like, I like to say that there's two types of mental toughnesses. There's artificial and there's mm-hmm. natural. And my wife, for example, has, she's the definition of natural mental toughness where she can, you know, run a 50 K with zero training and be okay. I am not that type of person. Um, like, uh, whenever I was growing up, my dad instilled discipline, but as far as like having a a rough childhood or anything like that, like, uh, I don't have those, um, traumatic life experiences where I can have like that natural mental toughness, at least growing up. So whenever I started, um, running long distances, I, um, would make it harder on myself for certain runs. For example, um, I remember in college, if I had like, uh, like a 20 mile run the next day, I would do legs as hard as possible the day before. And then every single Mm -hmm. mile of that 20 miles absolutely sucked. Now, if you're looking for actual progress, and getting faster and being able to run farther, that might not be the best scenario, but long distance training, 
as far as running is concerned, is mostly mental toughness. That's why you see a lot of old people run those compared to young people because young people don't have the mental capability of enduring that kind of pain. Um, so in my earlier years, that's what I would do is I would make it harder on myself or, you know, college student. If I was going, let's say drinking on the weekend, I would schedule, uh, with a buddy, a leg day first thing that next morning, um, just to make it harder on myself. Now, as I've gotten older and it's a lot easier to push way harder, I don't have to do any Mm -hmm. of that stuff anymore, but there was a period of time where that, uh, work had to be done in order to get where I'm at now. Right. I like how you said that uh, you basically tried to put yourself in a very uncomfortable position or workout to say. And I remember I watched a, uh, it was like an Instagram reel or maybe a YouTube video. And it was uh, Chael Sonnen, uh, who was a uh, light heavyweight UFC champion, talking about how he really uh, progressed his training on the mat and in martial arts is because he would honestly just set himself up to suck, to have a, a mentally tough day, a physically tough day. And that's not always fun. It's, it really, it's never fun, but the progressions mentally and physically after that, I think uh, really skyrocket. Once you start to adapt to maybe find that dark place during training and be able to push through and, uh, not really have a, uh, <clears throat> like a threshold like you never uh i guess a limit i should say but uh do you think you can train toughness yes uh, do you think it's okay uh so so as far as mental toughness is concerned i think there's two um critical factors that build out everyone's mental toughness and that's um environmental and um shit what's the other one it's environmental and then like things that you're exposed to or how you're brought up or raised so there's life experience and then there's like the environment that you were um born in so like let's say um you didn't like let's say you didn't have a lot of money growing up and Mm -hmm. you were exposed to a bunch of trauma as a kid those people that turn into adults tend to like be some of the best let's say ultra runners in the world or the best um endurance athletes if you grow up grew up not having to do anything your parents doing everything for you and you've never like had to push outside your comfort zone that's something that you're going to have to actually train on to make it to that like next level of like actual endurance performance um like i said the the natural mental toughness where you are going to have to make it harder on yourself during training in order to be being able to access that dark place that you can draw so much energy from. Okay. Um, I, and I, and I agree with that. I think, um, <clears throat> you, well, first off, I'll, I'll just say this is that there's too many complacent and entitled, entitled people nowadays thinking like, just say for your phone, you know, you can get all the best training or watch all these people. And I guess they, they try to imagine themselves, these people that they're watching, that's actually training hard and 
doing a program and uh, not skipping, not cutting corners in any way. I feel like everyone's trying to cut corners nowadays when it comes to training and trying to shorten that up. But, uh, you know, I have seen, you know, with, uh, you know, in the military and uh, college football that guys who really struggled in life and uh, guys who really struggled became way more or are more hungrier when it comes to their goals or achievements compared to someone, like you said, you know, maybe came from a family where they didn't really have to do anything. Everything was kind of put on a plate for them and handed to them. And that's wild because it's like, how, how can we minimize that? And how can we just have an overall increase of mental toughness and like, and just having a more of a mentality based as in, Hey, it doesn't matter what has happened to me or what's going on in my life. This is my goal. How can I get there? And, you know, when am I going to start? Is it going to start today? Or am I going to wait a little bit? Oh, I think for you, you're talking about, you know, mindset is uh, more than probably half the battle when it comes to strength and endurance. And I think for most people, that is something that they lack. Would you, would you agree with that? That, Oh yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the biggest issues that we're facing currently is that we live in a age where we have um, instant gratification and Mm -hmm. there's um, a lot of people out there, let's say, especially in the fitness industry, we'll just keep it there. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone's trying to make money off of reinventing the wheel or creating shortcuts and then so let's say we'll we'll make fun of seven minute abs, for example. Seven minutes a day you'll have abs in six weeks, you know, whatever. That's not true. Like you're so you have a bunch of um people that live in a fake world, they see things that are easy and can give them uh like everyone a lot of people are unhappy, right? Um even like even like people that you know, do work out hard, have six packs at six pack abs. Like you're never happy with where you are. There's always somewhere more that you can go to. And people that, uh, are unhappy, they see a way for, for something to happen for them without, um, putting in the work that's required. And so they hop on like this new fad diet and then that fails. So then they get discouraged and then, they jump on another fad and then that fails and then they gain their weight back or whatever. So I think if we could teach people to, especially with endurance training, that's what I love about it is like, there's nothing instant as far as gratification goes with endurance training. Like that's something that is, is seriously delayed gratification. Like if I'm training for a hundred mile race, I can't do that, you know, tomorrow. You know, unless I'm David Goggins and I start peeing and pooping my pants, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, yeah. there's two things. It's like the lack of mentorship and honesty is if we, if we, like, let's say we teach enough people how to actually talk and like, so as far as training is, is concerned, like whenever I personally try to help somebody and I've tried to help people that are in all aspects of life, like some really not mentally tough people. And then there's people that I really don't have to like, um, hardly baby at all. 
but I think I, what I do is I, I don't tell them what to do. I teach them how to not ever need me again. Mm-hmm. So I break down, I, I don't, I don't, I don't bullshit with them. I say, Hey, this is what it's going to take. This is how the processes that I'm telling you are working. And so like, if I'm not saying, Hey, do, um, 10 to 12 reps of dumbbell press, you know what I'm saying? Like go till, like pick a weight, go till failure and like every single set in that rep range. And then I'm telling them while they're lifting, like, Hey, this is what this is working on. This is what you should be feeling. Um, like you shouldn't feel, you shouldn't feel like a dumbbell press in your forearms, for example, you know what I'm saying? Or you shouldn't feel it in your shoulders. You should feel it in your pec. Like your pec should feel like it's like all your muscles, whenever you lift should feel like they're tearing because Mm -hmm. of the mind muscle connection that you're focusing on. So I just like constantly reiterate that. And of course, like people that are starting out don't have a mind muscle connection, but the more you talk it out and tell them like what they should be feeling, then I think it gets there quicker in my opinion. And then the more understanding that they have, like, I don't want to have to baby them you know, for the rest of their lives. Like I want them to you course, know, do their course. own thing. But as long as you, you know, don't tell people shortcuts like, Hey, you can't, you can't get abs by doing ab workouts. You actually have to have a diet. And then if you are going to do cardio for body composition, you probably shouldn't do what I do. You know, it, running ultras isn't going to get you those, that, uh, like Hercules style body that you're seeking, you know? So like you have to be able to adapt. And I think the more important thing is having like actual mentors out there that are kind of fixed, uh, mitigating these problems instead of people that are just trying to get rich quick. I agree with that. I feel like another thing that, uh, that will, come to the surface when, you know, you think about, you know, maybe lowering your body composition through nutrition or, you know, improving your run, improving your size, strength is consistency. It's like you could, you know, or this could even go to toughness and mindset. It's like they would train really hard for the first week. And you know, maybe they, then they go out and booze, you know, Friday night, Saturday night. I'm really just thinking of uh, people that I was in the military with or just college kids in, in general or, you know, maybe that they're, they have a really tough mindset. You know, Monday morning they, they go and do a five mile run, but then Tuesday, just or say that, you know, they have uh, a lower body lift. You know, maybe they go in there and kind of half ass that, that lift and then, uh, they're not, they're not reaching their full performance and not really benefiting from that workout. Um, and then they do that for maybe the program's 10 weeks and they, <clears throat> half-assed one to two days a week you know once you get done that 10-week program you're probably not going to be as satisfied as what you initially planned on because you took out 20 percent of that workout program per week and that's going to add up eventually over time do you think that uh consistency is hard to stay with when it comes to endurance training Um, yes and no. Um, so as far as running is concerned, it is super easy if you're not following like certain practices to burn yourself out quickly. Um, so like, let's say I tell you, 
hey, Will, go go run um, eight miles today, and I need you to do that mm-hmm. five times this week. Okay, mm-hmm. if you're if if that's all the information I gave you, and you don't know anything about you know uh, little you know some info out there that can help you drastically, you're probably going to run those eight miles at the threshold above what you should be. Um, and for somebody that's starting out that pace that you need to be running in order to be in the proper heart rate zone is going to be like that pace is so slow. Um, like, so whenever I do specific heart rate training, I'm running a pace that hurts, like that hurts me. It's so slow, but as far like if like if you just went out there and ran eight miles as fast as you could five days a week and you're just dying every single time and you're not progressing because you're not allowing your heart to recover while you run, then you're probably going to give up pretty quick um, if that's not something that you're passionate about. If and I mean, like I, I suck at like following this strictly, but at least I'm conscious of it to like. Um, adjust if I am starting to get burnout from running too fast. Um, so let's say for me, if I'm, I'm 27 years old. So if I'm Mm -hmm. doing the 180 heart rate rule, I, my aerobic threshold is 153 beats per minute. Mm -hmm. So anywhere from 130 to 153 is that zone that I would like to stay in, in order to easily run my um, required runs for the day without taxing myself mentally at all. And I'm also allowing my body to recover at the same time. Um, Now, if I go out there and I push 155 to 175 for an hour, one, I'm going to be too sore to push that hard the next day. And I'm going to be mentally exhausted. I'm, um, I'm going to have burned more calories during that workout. So I'm going to be, if I don't increase my caloric intake, then I'm going to be weaker the next day. So then I actually am performing less than I would have been if I would have just ran slower. Right. So really trying to find the right <clears throat> heart rate range uh, for your body and age and trying to stay in that range mm-hmm. for that, that distance of run. Yeah. And I mean, not, not um, everybody has a heart rate monitor on their wrist or their chest. So, uh, an uh-huh. easy rule of thumb is I can talk just like how I am with you breath. Uh-huh. And then I can continue on running breath. You know what I'm saying? Like that's uh like that's the type of breathing that you should be running at a pace 80% of the time. If you're endurance training. Right. I think that's something personally that I do wrong when i go for a run i'm like okay don't care what the watch says don't care what the legs are telling me or what my mind's telling me i want to run five miles just for Mm -hmm. a second i want to run this you know as fast as i can and regardless of get it over with i just want yeah get it over with yeah i'm trying trying just to suck for i don't know 35 40 minutes get through the run and for it to be done um what are some different types of running that you do? You know, do you do some, uh, you know, 400 meter sprints, 800 meter sprints, you know, five mile runs, you know, do you, what's some resistance that you got? And maybe a rucksack, backpack, 
Um, yeah, do you run on a trail uphill? Like, what are, what what is something like how you could uh, program and periodize like different types of training? Then maybe you could get into the steady state and you talk about heart rate, train uh, certain heart rates. You know, what what is maybe would it be like a a basic you know, rule of thumb guideline of how you would go about that progressing wise. Yeah, so I'm glad you asked that question. Um, I have about five or six different types of runs that I do one to one because it's beneficial as far as my progress is concerned plus it also gives me an opportunity to get different scenery in my training um so so let's go with long runs for example a lot of people think that if I go out for a 20 plus mile run that I'm just running (laughs) mindlessly in the woods for 20 miles, not taking breaks, uh, not drinking water, not doing anything. Um, so what I like to do is, um, so whenever I was out in college, I trained at Cooper's rock all the time. There's the, the roadside trail and it's 3.1 miles one way to the bathroom and then 3.1 miles back to the parking lot. That's what Mm -hmm. I would do instead of thinking like, Hey, I have 28 miles to run today. For example, I, break it down into six mile parts. Or if I can, I can even go farther than that and say, Hey, I got to run 3.1 miles. I'm going to take a drink of water at this water fountain, or I need to take a poo at this bathroom. And then I'm going to run back. And then I have gels or, you know, um, salt hydration, whatever at the truck. I'm going to chill there for a couple minutes and then I'm going to go back. I'm not thinking about, Oh my God, I have 28 miles to run today. Like, no, I have, three or six you know mentally to get through and then i just keep doing that until it's done you know i'm breaking it up into like aid stations mimicking a race um okay and i'm also i'm also going at a pretty chill pace like i'm not um, i can talk pretty clearly during those um flatter um long run training sessions now if i'm running seneca rocks for the same distance um, that trail is a mile and 1.3 miles to the top and then down. So it's 2.6 and then I'll run a lap around the parking lot to make it three, but I'm chilling at the truck for, you know, two to five minutes, making sure I'm ready to tackle the, the next repeat up the mountain. And then also, you know, won't like look at the view until the final one, but, uh, okay. I'm just, th- I'm not, <laughs> I'm not thinking about the uh, the distance entirely. I'm just breaking it up because that is my goal is I'm getting this repeat done. Now, if another thing I did whenever I first started is, is I would break long runs up, like let's say 15, for example. I would break it up into what I called a ladder run where I would run five miles and then I would do, let's say, like because I was training, <laughs> I was like doing – uh. Uh, it was like 0.33 of a mile loops around my parents' house um, whenever I was in high school and college. And I would do five miles, and then I would do five hill repeats just to, like, mix it up, just like a new do-over. And then I would take, you know, sip my water, do whatever, and then I would run four miles. And then I would do four hill repeats. Then I would do three miles. Then I would do three you know, you get the picture all the way down to one. I never right, ran, right. I never ran more than five miles at one time. And that's all I was focused on is getting that next 
rep done and then you then you finish that one like once you get down to like the two mile part i still have three miles left but i'm basically done you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. mentally i'm like oh i just got to do this two then this one and then i'm done and then you look back and it's like oh i did 16 and a half miles <laughs> you yeah, know you're already seeing seeing the light into the tunnel at that mm-hmm. point you get down yeah exactly um so that's an example of someone who's just starting out that's trying to increase mileage uh, as a way to break it up without getting overwhelmed, okay? Because um, if I just went down to, you know, uh, a, a park with a one-mile loop and I'm going to run that 20 times, by the time I'm around eight and I'm already pretty tired, I'm going to be like, eh, forget this, I'm getting in the truck, I'm going home. You know what I'm saying? Um so that's an example of those long runs. Then you have what is called tempo runs, and those are going to be like your five to, well, I mean, based off of fitness capability. For me, it's like that five to ten mile range where my heart rate is above that aerobic threshold. So I am pushing like that 150 to 160 range. And... I will only do those probably once a week if I've had three other solid slower training sessions. And uh, then you have your up-tempo or your speed work. And those are going to be like, for example, if I'm running distance, it'll be like the, say, the SF five miler where I run in under 35 minutes, you know. So every mile has to be under seven minutes for example um your heart rate's going to be pushing pretty high but it's for a shorter period of time relatively speaking or you can do um a track workout and i have this whole um this whole training like the two mile training program that i created and it's mostly like 200 400 and 800 meter repeats but i'll for me for me personally i do it for distance so i'll do like seven miles total, but it'll have like five eight hundreds, five four hundreds, and then a couple two hundreds that are really pushing that that uh that speed. And by combining those track workouts or speed workouts with the um like let's say SF five miler, twenty mm-hmm. percent of the time mixed in with those other eighty percent of those really slow runs that's where my speed's coming from. So that way I don't have to worry about speed for those longer distance. I'm building up my aerobic baseline or my aerobic capacity. And then I'm not getting slower because I'm still doing my speed work. You're, you're, uh, when, when you're telling me all this, I think of, uh, someone making like, uh, the mud, uh, pottery, mm-hmm. you know, how like they, uh, it's like, uh, kind of sculpting yourself into a, uh, I wouldn't say the perfect, but a high level endurance runner. Um, do you think it's possible that you can get all these types of training in one week of training? Um, yes. Yeah, so for, I'll just go through like a mock week. Um, mm-hmm. so let's say Monday I do a moderately long run, but it's still slow. And then Tuesday I'll do, like uh maybe like a short slow run 
And then Wednesday is probably whenever I'll want to do my speed work, a speed work workout, then maybe take a day off on a Thursday, but hit the gym super hard. I mean, I always hit the gym hard, but let's say like your, your leg day, your leg day, yeah, my intensity is higher on that Thursday. Maybe that's my leg day and I don't run, or I might do, um, a really slow recovery stair stepper session. So I might do legs and then finish with 30 minutes on the stair stepper at like six, like level six. Um, just to like get that active recovery going. And then Friday it'll be leading into, I mean, this is a a perfect week for me, but like Friday will be a moderately high mileage run with some strength training and then Saturday will be my long run and then Sunday will be an active recovery day. So maybe lifting or, you know, walking or something. And that's another thing. Like whenever I first started running, I found this thing called sandwich long runs and that drastically helped me out a bunch. Cause like whenever I trained for my first marathon, I was running three days a week and let's say my peak week was I did a a, ten, a a 15 on Monday, a 10 on Wednesday, and then a 20 on Friday. Well, guess what happened during my marathon? At exactly mile 20, that's whenever I hit my limit and I died. And then the last six miles was just like pray that I can make it to the finish line. Well, the next year, that's whenever I found sandwich long runs and – for example, let's say one day in the evening time you're doing a 12 and then the next morning you're doing an 18. Well, within a 24 cuz your body doesn't know what weeks and days are, you know. It just it just understands like period of time. Okay. Right. So it in that, you know, within 24 hours I've ran 30 miles but it's in two days. So I did a 12 and an 18. So I feel, I don't feel like I ran 30 miles, but my body is adapting to that 30 mile distance. Does that make sense? And then, and then, then, so running 26 miles, I'm not dying at exactly 20 miles. I'm, I'm adapted to run farther than that at that point. So that helped me out a ton. So, I mean, like anybody who's training for endurance can implement that training method. So like, implement those ladder runs and then also try to stack your longest runs back to back and one that builds mental toughness and it Mm -hmm. also is forcing your body to adapt um, to that longer distance without running that long distance in one day i mean it isn't one day but you don't feel like it's one day right Right. I like that. Instead of running 20 plus miles in one day, you broke it up between that evening, mm-hmm. have some sleep, recover. Yeah. Next, next morning, run again. Um, talking about, uh, you, you was talking about how when you do your long runs and, uh, your breaks, what is, what is something maybe talked about gel packets and salt packets you know uh, what's some you know basic stuff 
you know, supplements that you would use, you know, maybe on the trail, you know, electrolytes. Uh, I know you kind of uh, post a little bit about mountain ops. You know, do you like those uh, supplements? You know, what, what would be like a baseline? I'm not saying like, hey, you're referring to this, but like what would be beneficial, mm-hmm. you know, doing these long runs, running through the week, uh, you know, to continue to hydrate and uh, proper nutrition? Yeah, so, you know, I've been doing this, uh, at least like running marathons and above for the last eight years now. So I've pretty mm-hmm. much, I started, I've, I've never been formally taught by anyone. So everything is kind of trial and error or piecing together what I find in magazines or on the internet. Whenever I started out, I was solely, <laughs> I guess the ego was there. Um, you know, I guess, uh, Cameron Haynes had just like started becoming super popular whenever I was 19 ish years old. Cameron Haynes doesn't throw out a lot of, uh, training tips. And so whenever I first started, I had no supplementation, um, no pre-workout, no salt, no BCAs or EEAs, uh, what have you. And, um, I also didn't take gels either because I thought you were, a bitch if you if you took gels during your training like you just had to push through it um so like during my first marathon i didn't take a gel till like mile 15 and then by mile 20 i was dead because i didn't have any muscle glycogen left in my body Um, so making sure now you can experiment with this as far as training is concerned Mm -hmm. like you can um so like last year for example i had been out of the ultra marathon space for two and a half years and so I knew that I needed to get myself uncomfortable to get back in that mindset to be able to have a a good race and I ended up having a PR for that race even though my training volume was way less than prior but that's because I forced myself to adapt like I wouldn't drink any water during any of my training sessions regardless of how hot it was now you're not going to do that during a race but as far as like forcing your body to adapt, then that can be a, a pretty like a critical component as far as like um, breaking away from the crowd and getting better quicker. Um, so there's there's like dehydration runs. Uh, for example, like I would wake up in college sometimes and not I was fasted, no food in my belly, don't even drink water and no gels, no anything until like mile six plus to mimic like the second half of a race because the second half of a race you're dehydrated you're tired you're hungry you know whatever now whenever i didn't take supplements i would get home and dude i would just sit there and i'm just pounding the water and i cannot find relief to my thirst and i was like why can't i why can't i fix this and then uh, like you said, I finally like started taking supplementation. You said mountain ops. Um, I don't know. I moved on from them pretty quickly because there wasn't really a whole lot that could actually help me long term. But the biggest thing I found is high like electrolytes. Electrolytes. Whenever, um, so I think Warrior Fuel they they had uh, this product called Refuel. And it really didn't have a whole lot of electrolytes, but it had like coconut water powder. 
and stuff and um, BCAs and all uh, glutamine and all that stuff in it. And even just like that small amount of hydration helped me significantly. Like I wouldn't just sit there the rest of the evening, like just begging for something to hydrate me again. And uh, then 2019 is whenever salt started like really becoming popular. I think uh, liquid IV um, started coming out or drip drop and all that stuff. And then 2020 element um, came to market, which is pretty much like two liquid IVs in one packet, but without the sugar. And so not being afraid of salt drastically helped my ability, maybe not as far, it might help me a little bit as far as um, time, like speed compared to effort on the trails. But what it, where it helped me is my ability to not be useless the rest of the day after my training sessions. So taking, you know, two to 3,000 milligrams of salt and then half of half of that of potassium and then magnesium. I mean, dude, it was life changing. I wasn't, um, crazy sore all the time. I wasn't like begging for water. I actually used to drink like two and a half gallons, (coughs) excuse me, two and a half gallons of water per day. Um, just like with BCAs, this was like, uh, five years ago or something, but I was always thirsty, always thirsty. And I was just drinking all this water. Now I probably drink like maybe a gallon of water a day and I feel way better than I ever have just because I worry about, um, electrolytes. Yeah. For, uh, hydration, I think I usually just try to do like a, an ounce of water per like, uh, kilogram of body weight. So like I'm 200 pounds, so like mm-hmm. I'm at like around 96, 96 to 100. What I think uh, what a gallon is like 120 ounces of water. 128, so yeah. Right around, right around there. And obviously, I'm not doing any strength endurance training. Um, talked about hydration. <clears throat> talked about uh, supplementation, <clears throat> recovery. I know you've posted some uh, ice baths. How beneficial do you think uh, ice baths has improved? your muscle recovery yeah so I'm there, sure the, yours, there's going to be some uh mental <clears throat> toughness into a, a cold tub that's 30 40 degrees as well yeah so kind of ice baths are kind of like the new the new trend i mean people have been doing it for years but it's kind of like the mm-hmm. the most popular thing online now um i've read a bunch of things about ice baths um as far as like building muscle i don't know you know, I really don't know how much effect it has as far as building muscle as far as like, so if you do it, (laughs) dude, I tell you what, like there is nothing more mentally challenging than let's say waking up out of your nice warm bed and then hopping Mm -hmm. in a, a pool of water. That's 34 degrees. I mean, there is nothing worse (laughs) than just like, That, that will turn, turn everything on that morning. Yeah. But like whenever you get out, I mean, dude, you are ready to, like, tackle the day because, I mean, you're awake. There is no grogginess or anything like that. Um, I think it does help with um, soreness, and it does speed up your recovery. Um, I mean, because basically, so, you know, like, you have those, uh, what are those, those uh, compression sleeves that people use, like, to help their legs recover. I have a a cheaper version of those. It's just like, um, they're like bamboo fiber 
leg sleeves that just compress my legs. And I've used those for years. Like, uh, like after, let's say a 50 miler, your legs will have like that, uh, like that funny bone tingling feeling. And just by putting, um, some kind of compression on your legs immediately like slows that blood flow and alleviates all that, um, discomfort. And so an ice bath is kind of like the same concept as like a compression, um, garment where it's compressing your blood vessels and restricting blood flow, um, allowing for like that discomfort to kind of be mitigated. Right. Um, are you, are you big on, um, you know, maybe doing like maybe for your active recovery day and maybe hitting some yoga, flexibility, mobility routines, you know, maybe your shin shins are fucked up or or your, your glutes or your quads, hamstrings, you know, do you try to, um, add that in to your week of training or do you just, you know, minimize it to an active recovery day after you get done running? Um, so I'm that kind of person that I really don't, I mean, I'm forced to now just because like I have a much busier life than I used to, but like (laughs) There was a period of time where I went about three or four years and I probably took 10 days off total. Um, I don't like taking days off if if it's up to me. And mm-hmm. the biggest thing that I would do is I'm, I always try to make sure, like let's say if I don't want to take days off, I try to recover as quickly as possible in that period of time where I'm not training um, as I can. So before I lift, I'm foam rolling my entire body. I don't care what body part I'm working for that day. I start with my back, my legs, my calves, my quads, um, traps, you know, whatever. And then I go through my, and then also warm up different types of joints, like your rotator cuffs with like bands or whatever, just like making sure that you're properly ready for whatever lift that you're accomplishing or maybe like some pre-exhaustion that, uh, like say for chest day, warming up with a hundred push-ups. For example, my body's warm before I ever actually like lift any type of heavy weight. For example, so that's helping mitigate injury. On top of that, and then, um, so like for example, whenever I was at WVU, uh, a typical training session would be uh, a lift, a main lift. Let's say. Well, whatever, it doesn't matter. And then I would finish with an hour on the stair stepper. And then I would immediately jump in the hot tub, you know, to like uh, kickstart that recovery. And then I would, right, after, right. I would sit in there for a half hour. And then I would jump, uh, take a cold shower in the locker room. So that's just like some ways that you can like try to kickstart your recovery now, where I work now. Um, you know, I have my ice bath at my house, but then there's also a sauna, um, at the gym where I work at. And so after a lift, I can hop in there and do my stretching and my breathing and all that stuff to immediately do that after work, like after my work, as far as like lifting. And then I'm pretty much chilling the rest of the day. And, uh, you know, there's also different types of tools that you can have. Um, I never really use the leg sleeves unless like I'm putting out some really big mileage or like a really bad leg day. 
but there's uh there's massage guns, there's scrapers, there's hand rollers, you know, there's foam rollers. I mean, I mean, those are things that you, I mean, I don't really stretch that much, but I do make sure that I am working my muscles to making sure that they're good to go. Gotcha. Uh, what about your feet? Uh, do, do, do you have a lot of issues with your feet? You know, it's running, putting all these miles on your feet or, um, or do you think, um, and maybe shoes, you maybe get into shoe selection of, uh, you know, I guess trying to find out, you know, if you're a rear foot striker, uh, four foot striker, but, um, so I've always been kind of like the minimalist, um, flat heel to toe. So like, um, no drop, like I, I prefer ultra shoes just because like they have zero drop from the heel to the foot because I'm a midfoot striker. Um, Mm -hmm. if I, if I land on my heels too much, I'll have knee and hip problems. If I land on my forefoot too much, my calves will, my calves like really tighten up. So I'm a midfoot striker, which having a zero drop shoe helps me significantly. And then I think it also relaxes your, your foot tendons and stuff like that. I've only had foot pain probably like maybe whenever I was training for my first marathon is whenever I was dealing with foot pain. Um, but I think like we get suckered into having way too much cushion and drop in our shoes. And that's where, cause like if you have too much, if you have too much cushion, regardless of where it's at in your shoe, you're taking a lot of that natural adaptation out of your feet. And then if you, let's say, maybe go running once with a with a much different shoe, then you're forcing, like, all at once, forcing your tendons and muscles to adapt very quickly. And then that's where maybe the injury um, occurs at. So... Have you ever have you done any like uh, barefoot training? I'm not. I don't know. Uh, I've just seen and read to where if you do, uh, you know, maybe you don't even have to run, but if you train your feet with uh, nothing on them, mm-hmm. that it can it can build uh, the bottom of your feet tougher. I would I would love to, but my feet are so damn sensitive. <laughs> Uh, it's, right, it's yeah, kind of weird. Really like, like, uh, like, like I cannot lot. walk in a gravel parking lot without like taking an hour to go 20 feet, you know what I'm saying? But so it is right, weird that I do like more yeah. minimalistic type shoes. Um, like I like being able to feel stuff below me, but I don't want it like jabbing my feet. There's that like fine balance that I try to find. Right. 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 Okay. Um, I've kind of hit all of my notes. Um, when it comes to lifting and running, mm-hmm. would you rather lift or, or run first? Um, or you try to switch it up. Yeah, I think it all depends on, uh, well, before, like before I had kids, I would, I like running first thing in the morning, like you you get like a seven mile run done like i can tackle the day right right and there's a there's a different type of uh i guess high that you get from running and lifting like so if i'm running and i um get my little my little fix in the morning from running 
I kind of get, I wake up that morning and I get that, uh, meditation, solitude and clarity first thing in the morning. But if I lift, I'm all jacked up on all these, uh, hormones that I just released like testosterone and mm-hmm. HDH running through my body. And I'm just like, I am done. Like my CNS is just shaking cause I just pushed it so hard. So there is that like different, uh, feelings and, uh, being able to be productive. So in an ideal situation, like I like to run in the mornings and then, um, I like to lift around like in the evenings or around lunchtime. Now, if you don't have the option to split up your workouts like that, then I like to lift first and then finish with cardio. Let's say like a stair stepper session. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know who um, Tony Cowden is? Do you follow him on Instagram? I've heard of him, but I haven't done a whole bunch of research with him. Um, He does this thing. He's a strong, strong dude, and he's a good runner. But uh, a 500-pound squat with a five-minute mile, being able to max out a five-minute mile, or you could do a 600-pound squat with a six-minute mile. Um, How... This is a really broad question, but mm-hmm. with training, how would you be? How would you, as a strength endurance guy, really good runner, you love to lift heavy. How would you kind of work towards both of them goals at the same time? Okay, so I've I've been thinking about this a lot um, because mm-hmm. I have a similar. It, it's not the same goal, but it's in the same like ballpark. Um, so my right, right. goal that I, in my head, as far as like being an elite athlete, I would like to be able to deadlift 405 pounds for 10 reps and then mm-hmm. go run a sub 10 hour 50 miler. Um, so that is like in the same day, not, not because like deadlifting 405 pounds for 10 reps will exhaust me for a run. But just to say, like, hey, I am this strong while being able to run this fast at the same period of time compared to, like, being super strong in the wintertime and then losing strength as you get ready for a race, you know, in the in the fall, for example. Um, right. So that's, right. that's my goal, and that's what I've been trying to think about how to tackle. Um, I think training for that, you have to make sure that you're getting a solid, like super solid leg session where you are lifting heavy for, um, and you are going to have to get a bunch of reps, but you might have to break it down into three to five rep sets, um, with like moderately heavy. So if like, if I'm training for 500 pounds, then I'm going to have to train a lot with, you know, 315 and 405 um, for those moderately moderate reps. And then I'm going to have to dabble with like 450 and not really touch 500 during my training sessions at all. And, but then that, that same week, I'm going to have to have an accessory leg day of some sort. Um, So where I'm doing, leg press, leg extensions, leg curls, but I'm not doing like that compound lift twice a week. I'm just doing legs twice a week. I don't know. That's the, that's the only way I can think 
of how you can get because like if you're not already somebody that's capable of lifting that much weight and you're also trying to run faster than you've ever ran before so like let's say i'm a person that can squat 400 pounds and i can run a uh let's say 530 mile I have to increase drastically on both of those things at the same time in order to hit that goal. So you have to be very strategic because normally if I want to increase in squat, then my running is going to have to suffer a little bit for at least a short period of time for me to increase that type of strength. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then vice versa, if I'm going to increase my run time, I'm going to have to be a person that is already squatting like 600, 550 pounds in order to drop my run time by 30 seconds like that. So you got to be super strategic in order to increase both at the same time because typically that does not uh, correlate well. Right, and obviously those are some pretty high numbers when it comes to how fast you can run and how fast you can squat. But really – even if, if you would lower those numbers, that would take years of training mm-hmm. to build up to. But at the same time, that was just something. At the same time, though, uh, running that fast of a mile, you don't have to put in a ton of miles to get that goal. You just have to do a bunch of um, maybe like a a couple five milers a week, but then really mm-hmm. focus on your speed work because. Whenever you're running a mile that fast, you're actually using a lot more fast twitch muscle fibers than slow twitch muscle fibers compared to the normal person. Like if I'm running a mile, typically I'm using slow twitch muscle fibers, but whenever you're running that fast, you are using a lot of sprinting muscles, which is also the yeah. same muscles that you use for explosive power on your squat. Um, the thing about training, about the thing about like let's say if I was tackling this goal, I can't do too many speed workouts per week because if I'm draining my muscle glycogen for those speed workouts, then I can't push hard in the gym as hard. So honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, I would probably alternate weeks as far as like the focus orientation I was talking about earlier in order to hit right, that. Right. Talking about uh, running long distance. What do you think the biggest difference between, you know, running a long distance training to run long distance compared to uh, having a rucksack on your back? Um, hey, carrying weight. Yeah, so um, I am a very good ruck marcher. Um, I've done a bunch mm-hmm. of uh, competitions with hundreds of people and come out like in the top five. But I don't train ruck marches at all because I tip, I actually don't like them. Um, I am good at them, but I don't like I don't like training for ruck marches. Like um, you'll see, because you know you're you're a big time hunter, so am I. And then we're also in the like tactical um, space as well. So uh, if you talk to any hunters that train for the mountains or backpack hunts they'll just tell you hey you need to get used to training with a with a heavy pack on that's Mm -hmm. good but if you're always training 
like if you're training for a ruck march, but you're always just rucking to train for it, the only thing you're going to get better at is the speed in which you can walk with that weight. And you're also causing a lot of damage to your joints that you don't necessarily that like the damage caused compared to the progress or speed that you're going to be able to increase in isn't, uh, in my opinion, like a good, um, cohesive, uh, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but there's certain aspects to a ruck that you need to make sure that you're good at in order to be good at it. And that is having strong traps. So that way, you know, you don't have like a, cause you have nerves right here on your neck and in your shoulders. So you need to be able to provide a cushion for that heavy weight. You need to have a strong core and lower back and you need to have good quads, good endurance in your quads. So, you know, fortunately I'm a 210 pound man that also trains for ultra marathons. So those two together correlates into a fast ruck time. Um, plus I also lift now, for example, um, there's a, there's a Lieutenant Colonel in the, in the guard. He's a very, very good ultra marathoner. Um, normally places in the top five at whatever race he's in, but he's about 160, 170 pound guy. And the way we met is there was a, there was a 20 mile ruck march with a 35 pound pack. And, you know, he shows up as a well established ultra runner and he murders himself trying to keep up with somebody that he doesn't know because he's like, how in the heck is this guy like still going at this pace? Um, he, are you talking about you? Is he trying to catch you? To yeah. He's trying you? to catch me. And I, and I'm looking <laughs> back and I'm like, gosh, who the heck is this guy? I've never had this kind of competition uh-huh. before, but I mean, that's solely. And then whenever we get to the end of the race, we find out that we run the same ultras and he's almost insulted by the, the times that I give him for these ultras. <laughs> and, uh, but it just like, just because you can run far. And I always, I always say this is, um, strength. If we're talking about hunting and, um, tactical, um, like tactical athlete or survival type scenarios, mm-hmm. strength without endurance is pretty much useless unless you know how to fight. You know what I'm saying? And then being able to run far without the ability to lift heavy weight or move somebody or, your, you know, move equipment is also useless in a survival hunting tactical scenario. So you need to be well-rounded in both of those areas and so that's that's where I thrive at as far as like rucking is concerned because I am a big guy that also trains for long distance. But if I was teaching somebody how to get better at ruck marches, I wouldn't tell them to put on a ruck. I would tell them to take care of the the core fundamentals that cohesively make you a better ruck marcher. So you need strong high endurance legs, strong core lower back and traps and that's pretty much all you need and then just run during that ruck march yeah once you're talking i I, really you could 
emphasize the compression from the rucksack in your training and you know, maybe that you're doing maybe some yoke carries or maybe you can mm-hmm. just be carrying really or you have like things. a you have a 100 pound sandbag that you might like walk with yeah. you know like you don't have to put right. on a rucksack like you can also put on like a 30 pound plate carrier you know something that yeah. gets your body used like exposed to that weight but you don't have to go out and walk for two hours with a 45 pound pack to get better at rucking. Right. Do you, uh, do you, uh, emphasize running the plate carrier on in your training at all? Or do you only if you're really, I don't know, I guess what I'm, what I'm asking is that if you're training for a race, do you do a kit run or any type of, I might, I might train running with a plate carrier maybe three times a year. Now it is fun um, to lift with them. Um, I do enjoy lifting with them, and then combine that with a sandbag. Uh, that's a very fun workout that gets you uh, just mixes it up a little bit. But I don't think you necessarily have to have to do that in order to get good at it. Right now, for this is just for really uh, military guys. How do you personally like set up your rucksack? And it's just the the normal issued, not Malisag, just normal issued rucksack you get from CIF. How do you, what would be someone, uh, if a couple military guys are watching, like how would you set it up mm-hmm. you know, to prepare for a 12-mile ruck or you know, whatever event you're going to, just, or just a normal PT session? Yeah, so you want, you want most of the weight to sit um, about six inches above the small of your back, and then doesn't really go above your your shoulder height. So you have about uh, about a 14-inch window to put, like, your heavy stuff in there. So if, I don't know, for a competition ruck, for example, you would probably put, like, your weights or your sandbags or weight plates, whatever, in the, in the meaty part of your back, like where your, your lats and your shoulder blades are. You would fill the bottom with like your squishy stuff, like your, uh, your sleeping bag. Um, let's see what else, like your Gore-Texes, you know, whatever. And then you would line the outside, the back part of the bag with more squishy stuff. If you have it, maybe like your uniforms or whatever to keep that weight compressed to as close to your back as possible. And then you would feel, feel like the top part with your moderately heavy stuff. You know what I'm saying? Now, if we're going like a, um, I don't know, like a real world scenario, then you would just replace the the weights with you know extra magazines or you know whatever whatever that is heavier. Maybe I don't know, whatever heavy stuff that you got going on in your rucksack, you right. would put like in that right. back part. Because if you have your weight, <clears throat> if you have all your weight at the bottom. All that stuff is going to get compressed into your your the small of your back and in, in, into your spine. If you have it out out at the uh, backside and the medium part of the pack, it is pulling. Um, it's actually like a a forty five to sixty pound pack is going to feel like a hundred pounds if you have mm-hmm. it farther away from your body. And then if you have it at the top, it's just. I don't know. It's not very comfortable if you have it at the top. It makes you a lot more imbalanced. Uh, Like if you bend over, you might go with it. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, you're constantly fighting for Mitt to not uh, pull you over. Yeah. There was, uh, I always remember, you know, rucksacking or even just uh, carrying a heavy pack in the woods is that a lot of guys do not have a good knee drive when they have a rucksack on. It's more of like a, instead of your knees coming up, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? If that makes sense. I uh, I felt through training, and something that I had done, this was years ago when I was still in the Army, it was to do box step-ups like four-time, maybe with a kit on or a rucksack. And uh, when I was in Afghanistan, these <clears throat> Ranger Bat dudes uh, were doing it, and I was like, man, what, what are you what, why, why are you doing it? It's like basically just kind of like tell me why you're doing it and defend why you're doing it. And they described what I was just telling you about knee drive. And I've done that maybe for just a month, two to three times a week. And I felt like I went from being able to, I don't know, run a, what is the standard time now? Normally 15 minutes per mile to going down to like being able almost to run with a small to moderately heavy pack on at that pace, just from box step ups. And I, and having like a stiff legged walk with that ruck and kind of like you see guys doing like a a penguin Mm -hmm. march. I really felt like that was a lot of stress on your hip flexors instead of like getting your entire, uh, your legs involved. But that was just something that just came to the top of my head when we was talking about rucksack training. Yeah. Cause, uh, by driving your knees like that, you're actually completely changing your form in which you're moving that ruck. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, a lot of people walk with rucks on, and, you know, it is – your body tends to want to heel strike with a straight leg whenever you have that rucksack on just because it's, I guess, easier to control the weight or because you're weaker in some parts, you're trying to compensate with that. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're doing box step-ups or stair-stepper or, let's say, climbing a mountain face – well, we'll just talk about shoes for a second. Like if you if you wear like super stiff boots, um, walking up a super steep mountain face with a weighted pack on, you kind of want it to mimic like steps. So like if your shoes are too too like flimsy and don't have any support, then you're going to naturally go to that straight leg um, position because your heels are sinking down instead of like your right. toes digging into the mountain or like a. In. Yeah, instead of, like, uh, walking up steps. So whenever you train to mimic, like, the stair-stepper-type motion, whenever you run, you're naturally going to kick your your knees up higher, and you're going to have, like, a little bit of a bounce. Um, for some reason, whenever people – because I've done a lot of competition rucks. I get to watch people all the time. But, like, they feel – I guess because of the weight, they they don't want to, like, bounce at all. They just kind of like like a run. Like you're not whenever you run, you're not bouncing. Your your shoulders are kind of like staying in the same plane the whole time. But what I found with a ruck is I really like to like bounce. Um, like you know, uh, like your weight is coming up and down because you are knee driving, preventing the the heel strike. I'm definitely more of a forefoot, midfoot striker whenever it comes to rucks because you are getting like that. Um, elevated knee height 
during your movement. So it's like kind of as in, would you say you le- you're lengthening your stride more into like a bound, like you're. Uh, you're actually kind of kind of shortening it, because um, I think yeah, people are taking way too long of strides, and that's why they're heel striking. Mm-hmm. So shortening shortening that up, and then by kind of bouncing a little bit, you kind of force your body to like brace that weight coming down, so you're going to bend your knee, putting that weight on your quads instead of on your hamstrings and in your your heels that's super technical but it makes a huge difference right are you big on using the uh the waist strap on rucksacks uh i typically just uh tuck that back behind me for a rucksack anyways for like a competition ruck um i don't like to use the the hip belt now for hunting I'm using the hip belt because I don't want to feel it on my shoulders. I want to feel it in my hips, but yeah. For sure. Um, The last thing I'm going to ask you here is like, we talked a little bit on attack board. I really want to talk on uh, just average hunters. Yeah, maybe guys who do uh, turkey hunting or if they're going out west to do, you know, if they're going on an elk hunt and they have to a long uh, pack in, I don't know, five miles. But like, and maybe they're not in prime condition. Maybe they don't. You know, they, they don't train. They don't go to the gym, and but they want to increase their stamina and endurance to go hunting and not be like, okay, well I have to get here. Oh my god, look at this mountain. How am I ever going to get up here? What would just be some basic things that they could do? Maybe things just around the house. You know, not going to the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they if they can't, don't have time uh, to. For that not to suck, you know, to increase their endurance and, and uh, overall strength. Um, so, I mean, like you said, step-ups is a huge, I mean, that can be, uh, it's it's very helpful. Like, if you don't have the access to, like, get on a stair-stepper, um, I love the stair-stepper. It, it's, like, mm-hmm. the most, I don't know, it helps me in the mountains the most out of anything, running, lifting, whatever. But if you don't have access to a stair stepper, then step ups around that uh, 12 to 18 inch mark where you're like really putting emphasis on your one hiking form and strength, like building it in your knees and your quads, that's going to help a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I the only time I've actually ever trained that specifically is whenever I was like in Cuba quarantined. Um, mm-hmm. and I had like a 70 pound ruck on and I was just using like a, like a, like a shoe storage thing. It was about 12 to, uh, 14 inches tall. And I would just like do a thousand step ups on that. Um, it's one heck of a workout, but, uh, I would say it sounds Tetris. Yeah. <laughs> but like you just, uh, you know, just pick a, pick a foot and start off with that foot. So like, let's say I'm going to do. 20 reps with starting with my right foot and I'm climbing with my right foot. And then I'm going to do 20 reps starting with my left foot just to like, keep, make sure that balance and everything is there. Um, you're not strengthening one side more than the other. Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, so like if, if you don't have access to a gym, which a lot of people do, but if you don't and you want to have a home gym, but you don't have a lot of money to invest into Uh it, the best thing mm-hmm. that you can do is get 
two sandbags. Like that's the best thing that you can possibly do. Like get a hundred pound and a 60 pound sandbag. You will have, oh, and then, um, go to rep fitness and get a set of $26 Olympic rings and hang it to something tall. Like, I don't know. I don't care if it's a tree or it's your, your garage ceiling. Like you, you have 80% of, of all the exercises you can ever do from those three pieces of equipment. From a sandbag and some Olympic ring. Yeah. I mean, you can do pull-ups, you can do dips, abs, squats, presses, um, you know, if you want to do like, uh, overhead, overhead throws, like where you grab the hundred pound sandbag, throw it up on your shoulders and throw it off of you. Like you're building all those balancing muscles, um, and accessory stuff as well as strength. I mean, like you do, you know, 20 squats with a hundred pound sandbag or with a plate carrier on as well, or you want to hike it up a hill. I mean, geez, dude, it's pretty rough. So someone who's just starting out, that's what I would recommend doing for them. Sandbags and Olympic rings. Yeah. Yeah. Rep Fitness fitness, uh, probably has the cheapest Olympic rings you can get as well as the cheapest sandbags. So I have at at my house, I have um, two set or I guess three. Um, I have some brute force sandbags, some rogue sandbags, and then I have some rep rep sandbags are probably the cheapest ones out there, but also match the quality of those, uh, higher priced brands. Um, so get two, two of those and some Olympic rings and dude, you're, you're set. Right. One thing that I would add to that, and I really didn't start training with, uh, water, but like, if you could get like fill up, like, uh, maybe buckets of water or maybe, uh, like a gas tank mm-hmm. of water and training. Maybe you could do like some farmer's walks. Maybe you could do that with sand. But I always love training with water because because it shakes constantly and move. Yeah, constantly moving and working on your stabilization within your core, especially with farmers carriers and your grip. <clears throat> I always thought that uh, the adaptions to that would carry over to like carrying a rock hey i almost fell over okay well i can still have enough course ability and strength to, to not fall over um what else do you think you got you got sandbags lumpet rings um, you got some uh water and then if you were gonna uh, buy if you were gonna buy like one piece of actual like iron i would say a kettlebell um kettlebell i was gonna yeah. think of that too um I don't know. I have two different types of kettlebells here. I got a 50 and a 97 pound. Um, I can probably do a lot more things with the 50, but if I want to just like actually kill myself, then I grab that 97 pounder and it'll pretty much get you ready for anything. Right. What, uh, what would you say the average price for some sand would be if you just went to like Lowe's? Oh yeah. You go to, you go to Lowe's or Walmart and get pebble, pebble sand. Um, you're mm-hmm. talking like five dollars a a thirty to forty pound bag. Okay, so five dollars. Yeah, I wouldn't get regular uh, playground sand. Get pebble sand, mm-hmm. and then you won't have a right, bunch so of. Right, don't make a mess. Yeah. And I mean, shoot, okay, like uh, what I did whenever I was quarantined in Cuba is I actually had those uh, Olympic rings and uh, this hundred and 
25 pound sandbag sent to me. And then, uh, after like sitting on my bed for three weeks, I finally was able to, uh, like put those Olympic rings up in the rafters and then went outside and filled that sandbag up with, uh, just gravel. And then I was able to like actually, you know, have some pretty decent workouts just in the, uh, the compounds in my room. So. Right. And, and I think, you know, if, if you were someone that don't maybe financially can you know go to the gym or buy some equipment for a home gym, you know, you could buy these things within under a hundred dollars and kind of yeah. be set for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's, that's really all that I got, man. I don't, I don't know what else, unless you have some questions. Um, I think I just want to touch up on, cause we talked a lot about running. Um, just like one last thing about endurance lifting. Um, we go back to the mental toughness thing. I think a lot of people get consumed, like, especially whenever they're reading, um, programming is they'll see, let's say dumbbell press. I know I keep talking about dumbbell press, but let's say dumbbell press for, um, let's say eight to 12 reps. And people, and this is what I really emphasize to people whenever I'm personally like trying to get them uh, trained up in the gym is everybody, once they hit that 12th rep, they stop. So the biggest thing I try to emphasize as far as endurance goes is you want, I fail, I fail, I never stop whenever I hit a rep range and you know, whenever me and Zach, for example, lift together, he's like, Hey man, how many reps was that? And I was like, honestly, I have no clue. I just went till failure. Um, so I go to failure on every single rep or every single set that I lift in the gym, but I want to pick a weight that's appropriate to where I fall within a certain rep range. So like if I want to fail or if my rep range is eight to 12, I want to pick a weight that's appropriate to where I know I'm going to fail in that rep range um so you're constantly every single set pushing your body to that limit essentially to that, to that max rep limit within that range yeah the max uh limit of your muscles and your actual like effort capability and then too once uh you know then i also will add in and then this could be for every single body part um what's called a seth set where you'll take whatever working weight you're using and then you go for a max effort, which every set should be a max effort. Actually count what you get and then immediately take half that weight and do it for double reps with no breaks. So, for example, if I take 100-pound dumbbells and I get 12 reps, then if I, as soon as I fail with those 12 reps, I grab the 50s, and then I have to do 24 reps and I cannot get off of that bench. Like, I can... I can lift them up and take like a 10 second break, but I cannot stop that set until those 24 reps have been completed. Struggling. Mm -hmm. That sounds brutal, especially when you get in, get just stuff like that. Um, or, uh, doing bench press, like max reps of 135. Okay. I fail on this, or you can even do 225. But in order to make sure that, I am forcing people to go to their limits. Once they fail on that bench press, you immediately get down and do push-ups. You know, 
and that's a it's a truth teller because like if you can only do one to three push-ups well you pushed it hard enough on the bench press but if you can do five to ten push-ups well then you cheated yourself but now you're making up for it with these push-ups you know what i'm saying right right so even though if you do cut yourself short on the bench you're making up for it with the push-up mm-hmm. so that's just and, one way that i train for endurance type stuff but by the end of those push-ups how do you feel where are you at yeah you're at your you're limit put, yeah and then you take a gas. then you take your normal uh break in between sets and then you do it all over again mm-hmm. do it all over again now, for progression-wise, when you're saying you're trying to uh, find a way that you can stay in the 8 to 12 rep limit, are you trying to progress on weight the next week? Or are you like, okay, well, I'm going to do 10 to 12 reps or 10 to 14 reps the next time? Uh, so typically I alternate endurance and strength weeks. Um, mm-hmm. For example, we'll just stick with chest because we've been talking about chest. One week okay. if I'm training for endurance and – Endurance meaning moderately heavy, which still heavy by anyone's standards. Um, let's say I do 70-pound dumbbells for 250 reps. So that's 10 sets of 25. If we're talking about overall volume or poundage that was lifted in that training session, so what's 140 times 250? I mean, it's thousands and thousands of pounds lifted right Mm -hmm. and so i'll do that and then i'll just you know that is exhausting like that's a brutal workout it's terrible but then i'll finish off with some very light maybe cable flies or um machine flies whatever just to like force all that blood into all the muscles i just tore the next week i'll focus on heavier weight but much less uh emphasis on like overall training volume so Mm -hmm. i'll do let's say 100s to 110s in that uh maybe so like i might turn into a ladder where i'll do you know hundreds for 15 and then 105s for 12 and go down to where i hit my three rep max i'm never doing a one rep max but i might hit that three rep max and then then I'll move on to something else in a different variation. Like I might do punch presses or close grip presses or hybrid flies, you know, still doing like a bunch of different variations of lifts, but trying to hold on to that heavy weight as long as possible. Right. Okay. So, so then the overall volume lifted. So let's say <clears> – <throat> five to six sets of 10 reps with a hundred pounds. Um, let's see, what is that? 200 it might be, I don't know what the, what the math is, but it's much less than like the 250 reps with the seventies. Yeah. So, so like yeah, the sure. overall weight that I lifted for that day is way less, but I'm still exposing myself to that heavy weight. And I think um, just kind of like, that would kind of, as far as like um, correlation with running, like those heavy strength days would be your your speed workouts for running. And then the high endurance days would be, you know, your long runs. But they both feed off of each other and keep each other um, accountable. So like if I'm always doing endurance 
stuff solely, I'm never going to get stronger, like stronger, stronger. You know, if, right. if I'm always only yeah. lifting 70 pound dumbbells, I'm only ever going to be able to lift 75 pound dumbbells. But if I'm exposing myself to that heavy weight, then the next week I might be able to lift or the next month, whatever, depending on how long you've been doing this, that 75 pounds might feel like the 70 the week before. So then I'm exponentially growing in strength, but also increasing my endurance at the same time. I like that. I like that a lot. Keeping, uh, in, it's like, uh, you have someone who's really strong and you have someone who's really good at maybe strength endurance and you continue to work on both. You're going back, back, I guess what I'm going to get that is back to the well-rounded athlete or mm -hmm. someone who you know, is that you're going to eventually reach your peak performance to where you, you might, you might be squatting 500 pounds and you might be getting down to a five to six minute mile. I like how you, you make sure that you emphasize both sides, both types of training in the one program. <clears throat> um, you know, general major or major general Hoyer, you know, that is? Mm -hmm. I got to meet him, uh, then last last Wednesday, he uh, he came to the the football facility, and there's this program within uh, the football team. It's called the Chambers League Crimers. It's like a uh, networking group, and they kind of uh, bring some alumni back or some uh, superior people within the state or the community. And he was one guy that I got to meet, and that dude. Is badass. I knew, so like, I know, I knew that this guy was coming, but uh, you know, we really never talked about training. But I, my biggest question to him was like, "Hey, you know, I want to be a tactical strength conditioning coach." And uh, he was a former Green Beret. I was like, "Hey, you know, do you know anybody in this field?" Uh, and he gave me a couple of contacts, and that guy was like, "From this program, that's uh, my point. What I'm getting to is that from this program." meeting him was so beneficial or is going to be so beneficial down the line in my career. And what I'm getting at with this message is that doing podcasts like this or just networking with someone on different types of training and, and just talking, sitting down, taking notes, learning different, avoiding accommodations instead of doing the same thing all the time. Mm -hmm is how much that will progress your growth, not just as an athlete, but for, for your brand and your career as a total. Yeah, dude. Uh, so I think for, um, for the most part, everybody gets so caught up in trying to keep everything secret and everything's a, a competition, which life is a competition. But at the same time, like, could you imagine, like, so me and you, for example, me and you are trying to, because I eventually want to start, um, you know, launching my own like training program, and we're both kind of going towards the same type of people, but we both don't tackle it with the same approach. 
But instead of being, you know, so like, let's say competitors where we're keeping everything secret, could you imagine the amount of information or progress everybody could uh, acquire with collaborations like this, where everyone is working towards the same goal, but nobody, like, I don't have all the answers for everything and you don't have all the answers for everything. Um, but if everyone is, you know, trying to, but we're all trying to accomplish the same goal and that's make more resilient, fit, hardworking people. And we're trying to be force multipliers. I mean, that's pretty much why we're doing what we're doing. You know, that's why we want to help people is to basically be like force multipliers and try to fix the problems that are out there. Um, so I definitely think talking to as many people as possible, learning, maybe not being so uh, like set in our ways and being open to new ideas is absolutely critical in times like this, especially. Yeah, for sure. And <clears throat> I think sometimes during training is that you get bored, bored with doing the same thing over and over again. Like you were kind of talking about running and uh, finding a new place to run, different scenery. I think that sometimes it gets old, but then again, it's like don't get bored with the basics, mm-hmm. you know, of training, but also trying to find different avenues of approach or different training styles to reach the same goal. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, maybe you're not, maybe you're not changing the same goal, but find uh, uh, different avenues of approach, different variables of how to get there. Yep. Yeah. Everybody's different. And uh, so getting, pulling information from a bunch of different people in order to figure out what is perfect for you is pretty mm-hmm. much like the goal or should be the goal. Right. I, I would say my my biggest feedback uh, from this podcast and like uh, and, and everything that we talked about is create a plan, have a goal intended, regardless if uh, you know your experience or level in the gym or just overall health. Your your accessibility can play a role. Find what you. Find what you can get and how you can train. Yeah, maybe if it's just running, all right, invest in some running shoes, maybe some uh, shorts and t-shirt. I'm sure that you already have. Getting some equipment, maybe it's around the house or you do get to the gym and find out, you know, kind of who you are and what you want to be within the midst of your mindset, you know, what your, your training is to be and be consistent on on that goal because, you know, anyone can have all the, you know, perfect equipment, you know, have, maybe have uh, the best program, but if you do not have the correct mindset and a disciplined work ethic to where you continuously stack days of doing this program, you're not going to ever reach that goal compared to someone who, who might not have uh, you know, the gym or the equipment or the supplements or, or whatever the tangibles may mm-hmm. be. But but that dude works his ass off and, and does the entire program. He's going to have way more, or her, I guess I should say, it's going to be way more beneficial 
on his improvements to optimal performance. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, dude, in this, uh, in this type of training that we're talking about, um, mentality and consistency discipline is everything. Um, you know, Nick bear says this all the time, but lack of consistency leads to what is easiest. And, you know, without being able to get a, get outside of your comfort zone, you're always just going to be, you know, there is no staying in one place. You're either progressing or you're getting worse. So, you know, constantly punching that time clock will eventually, like, even if it's, uh, like, let's say workouts that are half-assed or whatever, as long as you at least, like, make it there, like, everyone has off days, just make sure that you're winning more than you're losing. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to win every single time. Just make sure that you're winning more than you're losing. And you'll start to, you'll start to build momentum. And down the road, you are going to start seeing that exponential progress. And, you know, that's key. Yeah. And last thing I'll talk about progress <clears throat> is be, be patient on your progress because you're, you're not going to become super strong off the bat. You're not going to get super big off the bat. You're not going to get super sh- fast off the bat, but there may be micro adaptions that is happening that you don't even mm-hmm. notice. Yeah. You're building you know, that framework. Form- Building up, yeah, building your framework, your foundation for whatever uh, goal intended, and you know, stick stick to the grind. You know, it's going to suck. You know, maybe maybe you're taking out some uh, some bad habits and some lifestyle, or maybe uh, your training might have to minimize, guys or minimize. Excuse me. Um, you know, who you're hanging out with or what you're doing in, in your life, but it's like if you really plan to achieve these goals and you're going to have to make sacrifices within your life to be able to reach them. And and it's like, are you invested in doing this or are you just interested? You know, we say this all the time over at the football facility. It's like, do you want to be good or do you want to work hard to be good? And I think that, uh, that is a good question that you can continuously ask yourself maybe you know, through the day in your workout or you're at that last mile of a marathon. Like, do I want to be interested or invested in what I'm trying to do? And I think once you figure that out, then uh, the rest of it's kind of laid out for you. You know what, mm-hmm. what you have intent to do. You know what you need to do. And uh, the goal will be achieved. Yeah. Well, dude, uh, yeah, we've been talking for an hour and 48 minutes, and I feel like we've been talking for about 10. Um, uh, yeah, well, dude, yeah, I love uh, kind of shooting around. I This is my first podcast, man. Uh, really enjoy it. I appreciate you having me, man. Uh, looking to do some more, some brainstorm, some more. Hopefully we can get together one day and do some actually training. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Yeah, sir. Turkey well, season's almost here. Oh, dude, I know. <laughs> uh, don't even don't even get us started on turkey season. Um, yeah. But so, we'll, yeah, we've talked for so long. My girls are waking up, um, so we'll have to do your episode because um, that is another probably hour and a half long conversation. Right. But uh, for the people listening, um, yeah, tell us what 
just real quick, just tell us like, you know, who you are, what company you started and what, uh, what your overall goal is. And then we'll wrap it up and, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, my, my name is, uh, Will Schoonover. I'm originally from Morfield, West Virginia, the same place Avery grew up and his brother. Uh, I went to the army for three years. I was airborne infantry. You know, I went to Afghanistan for a short amount of time. Got out. Uh, I, I planned on to walk walk on a WV football. Got to do that. Well, actually, first I went and played uh, baseball at Potomac State for a semester, and then got to play two seasons at WVU. Um, while I was in the army, I guess when I really started to get into strength conditioning, I uh, got to job shadow. Kind of, I was doing my out processing of the army. I got to be with uh, the head strength coach in Alaska named uh, Riley Keller. He was actually the NSCA tactical coach of the year last year. So I was with him for about six months. And I was like, man, this is kind of what I want to do. Didn't really know what I wanted to do yet with it. And then, uh, once I got to WVU, it was set in stone. This is what I wanted to do primarily uh, from Coach Mike Joseph, who's head strength coach for WVU football, and uh, going through his program for two full years and then now interning under him as a strength conditioning intern. Also, I had the privilege to go over to the Olympic side while I was still playing uh, football at WVU and be with uh, head strength coach Caitlin Sweeney and Tanner Cole. Uh, very good coaches, and really the the family that, or the tree I should say through WVU, has uh, really helped me and you know looking for jobs and really networking and people it, the, the strength conditioning world really isn't that big honestly, but uh, now I'm a full time intern and I just launched or created I guess. Uh, Gone Rogue Strength, you know, it's primarily for, you know, tactical athletes, combat sports for, you know, MMA, BJJ, or, you know, wrestling. And then, honestly, I, I haven't really posted any programs yet because I'm not real big on creating a program that I haven't ran myself. Like, I'm not just going to create a program like, okay, this is going to work. You know, I'd, I'd rather do it myself and be like, okay, it works, it doesn't work creates where it's worth putting on the market for. Mm -hmm. But uh, through the website, you know, at, at this point, there's only really three different categories. It's to create a custom online program for someone, you know, regardless of kind of like what we discussed of how much money you have or the accessibility and kind of tell me what your goal is and to create a program just off of you specifically just for you and what you have and what you want to do. And that can go for a time period, but really just a block at a time. So four weeks at a time. And then I uh, put a, a block of training out just for a tactical athlete. You know, you know, you could improve really it's for them. It's a general strength program, a little bit of strength endurance and some cardio work. Um, and then for, combat sports it was more specific to bjj so at that point it was like anaerobic power anaerobic like work capacity of constantly having uh, explosive movements and then aerobic capacity because <clears throat> some some matches or uh, fights may last up to 25 minutes so being able to have that power 
capacity, but also being able to do it for 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I plan to make more programs and it's just the beginning, but, uh, really excited about it. I, I think that, uh, it will be fun and to, you know, and honestly, like my goal is to, is to help people. I want to put good content out there that it could help maybe someone that's getting ready to go to basic training, maybe someone who's getting ready to prepare to go to selection process or ranger school, or then you could go over into the, the hunting world, which I haven't even made any programs yet, but like, Hey, I'm going on a elk hunt in Colorado. I know that I'm going on this public land and where I want to hunt is 10 miles. So, you know, to, to be able to prepare for that hike and then you kill you, and if you're fortunate enough to kill an elk, you know, you got to pack all that meat out. You got to pack the head out. So you, it's going to be, very hard and on your crew to pack that out. Um, and I guess some other services would be, you know, some mobility and flexibility. I really got into that just from jiu-jitsu and how that correlates with rolling and being able to get out of chokes and uh, submissions and also to be able to be flexible enough to put people in submissions. Um, some basic nutrition guide as well. Um, and then some instructional videos. I would like to get onto that. I really don't have like the setup yet. A camera. I got to get like a little microphone. So it's more like, um, the, the hearing's better and just, just, just try to do the little things. But, um, yeah, I, that's really about it. Uh, that's me. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, <clears throat> you heard it here. Gone rogue strength. Uh, a lot of things coming down the pipe. Uh, will dude, it's been, uh, almost two hours and it's been a pleasure to talk to you uh can't wait to get you on again yep i appreciate it man all right later